Welcome back to episode number 69 of the Anonymous Investors Podcast. How are you doing? Now is your cue to speak. You wanted to speak during the introduction. Now you don't want to speak. I did not speak during the introduction. No one heard what I had to say because it got cut. That, so you're wrong. You're completely wrong. It got cut. But uh, no, so I was, I was freestyling and this fucking guy ruined it, man. I had a good rap going. What to do? What it be? It's you, you fucker. Stop doing that. Stop fucking. If you whistle again, I'm gonna keep fucking muting you. You fuck. Um. So I had a good rap, and and you ruined it. I said, uh, what it do? What it be? It's stonk. I said something like, um, stonk man, back in black. I'm on the attack. You already know if you don't got no Schrodinger in your portfolio, that shit is whack. Um. Yeah, that, that was pretty much it. <laughs> it was like a failed attempt. But uh it was like pretty organic. I just randomly thought of that. But yo, I bought I bought some Schrodinger again. I'm not gonna lie, I bought I bought a you know, a little bit. Bought a little bit of Schrodinger. Love it. Love that fucking company. I love them. I love them. I don't care. I'm buying buying that shit, buying the dip like I'm packing a lip, baby. You already know what it is. And speaking of packing a lip, how about Target? packing their fucking stores out with excess inventory they got fucked huh holy shit that was another thing you ended up calling and you fucking hit the nail on the head you said all the big box retailers you said walmart you said target you said fucking best buy you said fucking harold's caviar you said they're gonna have too much inventory because of all the games that china's playing with this fucking lockdown bullshit oh lockdown we're gonna lock down you know on off on off on off like a fucking switch so obviously, of course, the retailers, big box American retailers couldn't accurately predict inventory. So what happens is they get stuck with a surplus and now they got to sell it for fucking pennies on the dollar. So if there's any shit that you want from Target, now's a good time to get it. Any furniture, right? Bedding, maybe, you know, any type of like big fucking big ticket item that uh, usually, I mean, Target's like a pretty relative, they're like a relatively inexpensive store. Like you can pretty much go in there and get whatever the fuck you want. It's like within reason. Same thing with Walmart. Walmart's known for obviously being incredible uh, at buying products and then, you know, obviously selling at incredible prices. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for an even bigger deal, I, I would say probably within the next month or two, now's the time to kind of go and look at these places. So you'll see a lot of shit on sale. But yeah, you were right, man. You fucking nailed it again. I don't know how you do it every time, but Get it right every time. Yeah, uh, you know it's 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 good to you know receive credit when it's due. I should be receiving credit like this on on a daily basis. But yeah, you know Target obviously they don't know what the fuck they're doing. They mismanaged. They mismanaged the inventory level. They you know they were above their tar they were above their target inventory level. They got stuff sitting on shelves for long periods of times, and now it's got to go. On, it's got to go on sale. So that they could reach, you know, their their target inventory level and bring it back down to normal levels instead of having money uh, sitting around the shelves and not and not meeting uh, customer demand. Now, right? Everybody says like, oh, these discounts, these discounts, they're gonna work. You know, they're gonna be able to bring down their inventory level. We are going into a recession. You look at credit cards, credit card and consumer debt is at all time highs. These bozos, right? They don't want to cut back on their spending. They don't realize we're going into recession. They're putting everything on credit cards. And, you know, they're going to have another thing coming when they're not able to meet this uh, consumer debt when they get fired from their jobs in uh, the upcoming months because uh, these technology companies and a lot of other companies will be cutting back on their employees. You know, when uh, 
consumer demand wanes and consumer demand will wane and you know they won't be able to pay off th their credit cards will be going into these credit cards will uh credit card debt and consumer debt will default and we will see right the recession inbound and we have uh this bozo over here he keeps buying stocks he keeps saying oh we hit the bottom we hit the bottom oh we're down 15 percent. we hit the bottom no 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 the bottom is not in we are at, we, you, you're at the kitty bond, right? You're at the four foot section of the kitty bond. I'm in the deep end. I'm waiting for the, the 10 feet to go down. You're at the little uh, bottom of the kitty pond. I think, I think market conditions will ultimately get worse, but I think there are some companies that you want equity in no matter what, just because of the long-term prospects. Yeah, sure. You'll, you'll get a better deal if you decide to sit on the sidelines, but at the same time with the way the market's been trading in the last really month and a half, two months, it's been more of a sideways market than down. Um, so it's going to be very interesting, but you're right. We will see uh, more of a pullback, but that's kind of why your dollar cost average. You don't really, you know, if I buy Schrodinger or I buy Apple, or Tesla, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna load in all at once and then just sit on it. No, I'll buy in incrementally over the course of the next couple months or maybe you know next year and a half because these recessions typically last uh, you know a year and a half, two years. So, um, but you know that's just kind of what it comes down to. But Schrodinger, I just I I am just like in love with that company in terms of like long term prospects and long term potential. That's more of like a five or ten year type of bet. And it's just very simple. The current valuation is not reflective of what the what the future valuation of the company is going to be. So I know the upside is there, and I'm willing to buy it even at, um, you know, I'm buying it below the IPO price, which is fantastic. But at the same time, you know, it does have a long way to go down before I think it kind of bottoms out. I think it, it's trading in that sub thirty dollar range. I think it can bottom out at like low twenties. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Oh, sub where 15, sub here. 15, my friend. You think sub 15? Oh, yes. Everything has to drop yeah. another 15% I mean, in this market. This horizontal price action you talk about, right, will not be seeing that for a long period of time. Now, you, you're trying to look at this technical analysis, you know, you, oh, we see a gap in the uh, unlimited space interval, and we're drifting to a oh, sideways. Wait, 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 wait. You, hey, you, you mean you don't we're subscribe to the... You don't subscribe to the technical analysis, the cock and ball handle formation that shows that there's going to be a bull run. What about the ball and cock formation? That's it. That's what I said. The cock, the cock and balls formation. <laughs> now, technical analysis is fucking retarded because every all trading is done algorithmically. So technical analysis has no bearing. Now, if you wanted to say like technical analysis working in like the eighties or like potentially even into the early 90s like yeah it probably it, it could have worked or it definitely could have worked in the past you know what technical analysis is anymore. technical analysis right it's just a fancy way of doing a pump and dump right you get everybody together you make up some bullshit story you say like oh the lamp formation and everybody agrees with the lamp formation this bull bullshit thing oh we have a lamp formation on the perimeter it's going to the corner to the moon to the mars oh on the left on the right the lamp is coming in on an axis, the X and the Y axis. They meet, they form, they form this cock and ball formation with the lamp and everybody believes and they buy this technical analysis. That's the only reason it goes up and the technical analysis works is because it's, it's this kind of Ponzi scheme, kind of pump and dump action. I'm going to give you an analogy about technical analysis and I think you're going to love it. Technical analysis in finance is like astrology for like, like how chicks have astrology like the finance bros, like we have technical analysis. That's what it is. That's our astrology.
And if you're dumb enough to believe that, oh, Mercury's in retrograde. That means that I'm going to be a cunt and punch some other bitch in the face. Like, that's how the women are. They go, like, nuts. And it's like, that's not, like, okay, Mercury could be in retrograde, but that doesn't have to do with the fact that you were a bitch before that and no one cares. <laughs> astrology horology all that nonsense that that's you know it's got no, it's got no meaning you know you should go yeah. see a fortune teller if you believe that you go see a fortune teller to tell you your future and read the palms of your hands yeah oh, yeah the palms you got, of your hands oh you got a v-shaped <laughs> motion in the palms of your hands it means we got a double bottom in the stock market yeah the whole thing is so funny but on that same topic of these fucking uh big box retailers we just saw that Ryan fucking Cohen, the goat himself, king GameStop, king of um, Chewy.com, the Chewy.com man, right? He sold out of Bed Bath & Beyond, and his stock is down like 40% in the last like day or two. And it's very interesting to see that happen because a lot of people were so upset about that. He made $65 million, He cashed out, and that was it. He's done. He doesn't care. Uh, but there were a lot of people on Wall Street bets, a lot of apes that lost a lot of fucking money. And I don't think they give a fuck because it's all kids mostly. It's all young kids that like don't have that much money saved up. So they're like, fuck it, I'm going to YOLO it. Like they got like 20 or 30K and they're like, I'm going to YOLO this shit. Either I'm going to be a millionaire or lose it and I don't really care. And it's just like gambling for them. Like they don't give a fuck. But shout out to all the apes out there. We, we fucking love Wall Street bets. Wall Street bets is like easily one of the funniest fucking subreddits ever. And, uh, yeah, the content on there has been so funny as of late. Uh, it always just makes me laugh because, you know, some of the shit that people put up is just astronomically funny. But, yeah, Ryan Cohen, I, I'm, like, kind of blown away that he got out. I mean, um, I thought he definitely would have stuck around for a little bit. He definitely is, uh, like, a big activist investor. And especially after the whole GameStop thing, I would think that he would stick around. Uh, but... You know, the GameStop, I mean, he, he really was kind of that reason, that initial catalyst for that GameStop movement, because the stock like doubled after that point. It was at, like five bucks a share. Then they announced Cohen and it kind of made like a run up to 15 and settled for like a little while, but not too long, obviously, because this all happened in a span of like three months, went from like fucking five dollars a share to like 300 or like 350 or whatever the cap was, uh, you know, peak. But I think that Cohen was picked. Or Cohen took an activist position uh, at some point, and then after that, the stock went fucking hyperbolic. It basically went from like five dollars a share to like ten or fifteen, and then like people started to use Cohen as like the thesis to buy GameStop, and it just took off like a fucking rocket. So it was just so interesting to see that he sold out of Bed Bath and Beyond. But what do you think about that in terms of Cohen selling out of Bed Bath and Beyond, and like? What do you think the implications are obviously beyond the short-term pullback of 40%? I think Bed Bath & Beyond is kind of dead in the water. I think they have declining revenue. I think they have a lot of debt that they've got to pay off. And I don't see any real way that they're able to pay it off or even take care of anything that's uh, impending on their balance sheet in terms of just liabilities. Well, yeah, Bed Bath & Beyond, it's up uh, over 360% since uh, June 31st. It's been pumped on... Uh... Wall Street bets, you know, all these people have been going crazy buying call options, uh, leading to these uh, gamma squeezes and upward price action action uh, movements. But uh, yeah, if I was running Cohen, I would sell out of uh, Bed Bath & Beyond too. 
Yeah, he made like sixty-five million or something, right? Yeah, the business model is not going to last long term. He made sixty-five million dollars. You know, why should he do the work and try and turn around? You know, the discrepant real retailer when he basically received the reward without taking any of the risk. He already got his reward that he would have got if if he turned around the retailer and made it successful. I'll take my reward and I'll work. Uh, you know, the Wall Street bets, bozos and monkeys, they did all the work for me. And I don't even have to, have to actually do the work to get the $65 million. Yeah, he's definitely um, an interesting character, too. Like I was saying, though, um, you know, he had a, he was like an integral part of that GameStop movement and AMC movement. And people kind of rallied behind him. Uh, they really liked him. He obviously did like a phenomenal job with Chewy.com. Chewy.com is like blown the fuck off. I use Chewy.com to get uh, stuff for the dogs, and you know it's it's good stuff. Like it, it's a it's a good service, but he's definitely no Buffett, that's for sure. Like Buffett's such a long term type of guy, buy and hold type of dude. And Cohen, Cohen, it seems like he's more like in and out of shit, constantly moving, constantly on the board of new companies, pushing for new innovations, new initiatives, and he's definitely been like bumbling around more, but. Buffett's so different, dude. Like Buffett actually kind of surprises me now because it seems like he's playing more of that like arb role, like arbitrage, where uh, he owns a position in uh, Activision Blizzard, which is the company that makes, you know, Activision makes uh, Call of Duty and Blizzard makes World of Warcraft. Um, but it's funny because he's playing that like merger arbitrage where, you know, there's like 20% upside if that deal with Microsoft goes through. So the Microsoft deal at 95 a share. And right now, I think Activision Blizzard play, uh, trades in like the 80s. So there's about 20% upside there. But I'm I'm surprised that Buffett's even playing that merger game because if he's doing that and the market's not adjusting, that means that something – I mean, that's kind of – that just shows how crazy the markets are. Like for that stock to be down, um, you know, for there to be a discrepancy of 20% between the buyout offer and current market value – I mean, that's kind of crazy because it's really just like a risk-free bet. Like if Buffett's making that bet, that's got to tell you something's going on. And clearly he's, he has a lot of confidence in that deal closing. So it'll be interesting to follow that and see what happens in the next couple of months. Well, I mean, the deal could close, but the deal is probably valued in uh, in shares of Microsoft. So if you think the overall market... No, it was a cash there. offer. 95, 95 a share, cash offer, and it's trading at oh, wow. right now. And Buffett's playing the he's playing the merger arm. Hang on. Uh I could see it being AD if it was valued in shares of Microsoft. And you you predicted that the market was gonna drop and then you value in discount that it doesn't actually go through and such. But well, well year to date, cash. year to date, the stock's up nineteen percent. And on the one year chart, it's only down two. So it's been trading pretty flat. It's it's trading at eighty. Uh it closed today at eighty twenty seven. And let me just double check that Microsoft deal. It is it is a $69 billion all cash deal? Yeah, this is it. Microsoft announced a $69 billion all cash deal for Activision Blizzard in January. And that's $95 a share. So that's pretty good. And when do when is this expected to like close? I mean, I know it's gonna take a little while, right? But uh, they announced this back in April. I mean, it's already fucking, it's already September here. So what are these fucking clowns doing? Yeah, but you could get a 15% return and it's pretty much in this market where, you know, everything's going 
down, you get a 15% arbitrage return. It's, you know, that's yeah, good. I think I, I think should I buy this? I'm thinking about this. This is a pretty I think, good and I think this like deal is Buffett's pretty much guaranteed to close. There's not there's yeah. not that much antitrust concern with this deal. It's a game. Yeah, no, company. it's a it's a it's, it's a video game. Yeah, it's not you know the right. You the, have, uh, you have Sony up, and everything like yeah. that. Samsung, they're all you know. It's not an antitrust concern. The breakup fee is three billion for this deal, so I don't think they're gonna break it up. Like that, like yeah, you could argue like anything from like DOJ or like SEC or whatever, but it, it's not like Microsoft's gonna break it up. They have to spend three billion. Then I don't think they're gonna do that. You know what I mean? Uh, it says the deal is expected to close before July of twenty twenty three. All right, so it's about a year out or whatever, but it's like a twenty percent return. Like that's pretty good. I might have to buy this. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. Either that or I'll just buy like. I got fucked with Tesla too, by the way. I went to buy oh. more Tesla and these fuckers, let me just say this very quickly. These fucking dickheads at the brokerage, uh, when I sold out of one thing, it's uh, T plus two. So I got fucked. I literally missed the date, but the, um, the date before the split by like a day. So I ended up, obviously I didn't buy fucking Tesla, but I might wait until after the split, but you know, it's going to rock up a little because of the fucking split. Cause these retards are going to be like, Tesla's only $200 and they're going to fucking buy it. So I'm a little pissed about that. I fucking, I missed it by a day. The cutoff was uh, August 17th or something like that. And, Don't worry and about Tesla will go down posted on the 18th. So it will go down up below 800 again, you know, with the overall market going down, you're going to get Tesla. I, if it's yeah. Cheaper. I'm going to get a good deal. I know, but it, it's just, you know, I, I wanted to add to that position. I'm a little fucking pissed because that's like the fifth largest position in my portfolio. And I think it really should be, you know, a little bit further up there. So it, it's just a fucking but, uh, yes. Activision, right? You know, they, there's also concerns. I don't know if you heard about this, about um, them interfering with uh, labor unions and such. And, you know, there's a there's a chance that they might. Yeah, people were trying to unionize, right? Yeah. And they were like illegally spying on them. So like. This discount might be because they might get fined a couple billion dollars and they're going to have to dis discount, you know, Activision because they're going to lose that cash. I don't know how much they could get fined from this. The uh, the UWA, I don't know how much they would find for, the, for the, these practices. Yeah, they're trying to stop people from unionizing. And um, one of the big push. So first of all, Blizzard uh, is like a, you know, they made World of Warcraft. They're like pretty well known and like well respected as a company in like the gaming community and the you know the PC community. But the thing is that they actually are like notorious for having like pretty bad culture. Um, they were sued by a bunch of, I, I believe it was like a few dozen um, former uh, women employees who said that they faced like discrimination because they said the culture is more of like a bro type of culture or whatever. And um, yeah, apparently they got some payout or whatever because Activision. Blizzard was like, okay, and then they just settled. So there are like major concerns with the company's culture and like kind of what goes on there. And now they've kind of become very like greedy and like uh, they, they're big on like microtransactions and shit like that now, which is kind of lame because that, that kind of like killed a lot of the gaming industry for people. And I know for me, like as someone that used to play games a lot, I don't play anymore really, but uh, as someone that used to play, like microtransactions just killed everything because it's literally just pay to win for like any online game. Like uh, other than like, other than like some games, like certain games, like where 
I don't mind microtransactions if it's for like cosmetic items in the game, but then once you get into microtransactions where it's like you pay and then you get like the best gun in the game and it's like pay $30 and then you just fast track your way to getting it. It's like, that's fucking lame. Or like you get like new equipment or tools and it's just like to win. I, I always thought that was like really fucking lame. Cause then, you, you know, there's like no grinding aspect of the game. There's no like actual challenge to the game. It's like you just pay the $30, whatever, get the best gun, get the best shit. And then you're like, well, what do I do now? And you're just, it's just boring. But, uh, yeah, no. What else was going on with Buffett? Because I know that you mentioned um, that you wanted to talk about him, and I felt like, hey, let me just bring him up. Yeah, so like one of his uh, biggest positions, I think it might be his second or third biggest position after Apple and something else, uh, Occidental Petroleum. So he just did a filing, uh, and he's been approved to buy up to 50% of Occidental Petroleum because you have to do certain regulatory filings if you want to buy uh, half of a company without submitting a formal ten tender offer. So he basically just uh, submitted his filing and he's allowed to buy up to 50% of Occidental Petroleum. And, uh, you know, this says a lot about his thoughts on the current market because oil is often seen as a hedge uh, in a recessionary environment. And he's been going uh, very, very heavy on uh, oil and energy uh, lately to basically hedge out his, his large Apple position. So this is going to be interesting to see if he uh, submits a buyout offer for Occidental Petroleum. I know in the past he's, uh, I think he's bought Chesapeake in the past uh, and a couple of other. Uh, yeah, that's true. He also has got, he's got Chevron to him looking at his portfolio right now. He's got Suncor Energy, Chevron. Chevron was a, a fucking big one. I love Chevron. Uh, here's a little fucking fun story for, uh, for everyone. Uh, during, the pandemic, um, we actually saw a week, if you remember this, this was back in April 2020, where oil went negative. And, um, you know, we all talk and we have our own little group chat. And uh, God, you were in there. And I remember I was like, bro, oil went fucking negative. Like, we got to figure out some shit. And we were trying to figure out how to how to get physical barrels because they were paying you like 20 or 30 dollars to like take these barrels in. And we're like, bro, oil's going to pop off. We, I know it's going to pop off, right? And we were like, fuck, like, what could we do? And like the regulation to get like the physical barrels is so crazy. Like it, you have to jump through like five or six different fucking hoops to be able to do it. You got to have like connections to people. It's this whole big fucking mess. But basically it's like tightly regulated by the EPA. Um, so it's not like you can just like order a barrel, like you order whatever fucking thing off of eBay or Amazon. Right. So then we were like, okay, well, that's insane. Like we looked into like, you know, we were like, well, I guess we could do like warehousing or something. It was like a nightmare, but uh, the, the cost was just so immense. So we were like, fuck this. So I was just like, bro, let's just play like, let's play um, the strongest balance sheet in the sector of like, in that like oil sector. That's like an American traded, uh, you know, company, American traded like public company. So I decided on Chevron, and I know that some other people bought Exxon and a couple others and uh, ConocoPhillips, and but Chevron fucking went nuts. I bought Chevron at like fifty something a share, and I ended up dumping it somewhere in that like ninety range, which was nuts because I, I basically almost doubled my money in like a month or two, or like three months. And I know that you did pretty good with Exxon too, right? Like you you did pretty well with that. Oh yeah, I did great on that on Exxon, pretty much. Uh... Exxon went, it, it, it didn't do as good as Chevron, I don't think, but 
it, it did, I think it returned like 85. I, I just played, I just played like how I look at shit like that is that's kind of like Black Swan, right? Like that's that guy, Nicholas Taleb. He talks about that in his book where like you see certain like inefficiencies in the market in the short term and you're able to take advantage of them because you have some cash on the sidelines or like a little bit of cash or you have some money and other things that you could kind of sell off and move into that. And um, no, it's just interesting because, you know, you definitely, there are like market inefficiencies that we see on, a, on like a somewhat regular basis that you could definitely take advantage of. Um, and, you know, it's very interesting to kind of talk about shit like that and to see things like that. And this is something I wanted to discuss later on, but I think I'm going to mention it now. Uh, speaking of like market inefficiencies and things you could potentially take advantage of. Um, so there's been this thing going around and I know it's kind of been hyped up by the media and I don't really know what to make of it, if it's going to be a big crisis or not. I don't think it will be, but monkeypox has been fucking going around. So there's actually this company and it's called um, Bavarian Nordic and it's based out of Denmark. And right now it is the only company on the planet that is approved to make the monkeypox vaccine. So this is interesting because the World Health Organization declared monkeypox a crisis. And right now there are 14,000 confirmed cases in the United in the United States and about 40,000 worldwide. So if this company is the only company approved to make these vaccines, even if they fast track it, right? If you remember under Trump, there was that Operation Warp Speed that was done during COVID to rush out those vaccines. And that was with Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. So even if something like an Operation Warp Speed comes out, and they do that with monkeypox because let's say it does get worse or you know some people do end up getting uh you know getting this or whatever they, this is this is a company where they basically have a year of like a monopoly because it's going to take them at least a year for like for these other companies to make the vaccine for monkeypox but imagine right basically uh very similar to the time period it took for them to develop the covid vaccines so if you look at this company you could actually buy shares in this company uh, in the form of like an ADR, which is an, an American uh, depository receipt. So it's basically a way that allows uh, retail investors and people who invest in public markets to buy equity in foreign companies. So it'll be very interesting to kind of see what happens with this. But this is something worth keeping an eye on because this thing could really go nuclear if the government decides that, you know, they're going to have a knee jerk overreaction and, and buy like millions of fucking vials of this vaccine. And even if people don't take it, it doesn't really matter if the government is stupid enough to buy like a billion fucking vials or however many vials, like, you know, they're still going to make all this money and revenue. So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of transpires. But I don't think that the monkeypox thing, like that ailment is going to be as severe or like as blown up as COVID. But I could totally see a situation where the government just overspends on vials of this shit and no one ends up taking them and they don't really do anything with them. Yeah, I don't think monkeypox is going to be bad as uh, as bad as uh, the previous um, pandemic. It, it seems to be isolated um, to people who do certain activities um, with uh, the opposite uh, gender, and it doesn't seem to be spread through. Uh, you mean with the same, the same? Oh yeah, the same, the same gender. It doesn't seem to have. It doesn't seem to spread uh, rapidly through uh, organic means. 
Yeah, but I still like that idea of potentially investing in something where it's like, you know, the only bridge in town, like as Buffett calls it. There's like already a moat there. Um, so Buffett described like his perfect investment as like you and you basically own the only bridge in town and you charge whatever toll you want and people have to pay it. And uh, I could totally see like that working in this company's favor. So it definitely is something worth looking into um, potentially further. Uh, so it really is just going to kind of come down to what the government decides to do. I don't think it's going to come down to what the public wants to do or whatever the case may be in that sense. But I, it's really just going to come down to will the government overreact and order a shitload of these fucking things. And um, right now, the demand for these monkeypox vaccines is so great that this company obviously can't keep up with demand. Uh, so now they're partnering with um, I was just reading in The Wall Street Journal. They're partnering Who's with taking these shots. I don't know. I don't know, but here's the thing. I don't they see that. Up, they the can't keep up with the CVS. They, where are these shots being given? I, I don't know, but they it's like a government set up like testing sites and vaccination sites. But I'll say this. Um, they can't keep up with the demand for them. And they're actually partnering with manufacturing plants in the United States to be able to pump them out. So that's kind of where we're at now, which to me, after reading that means like, okay, now this is big. Because now it shows that there is demand for this fucking vaccine, which means that this company is going to make a fucking shitload of money. And the valuation is very high right now. It's up about like 40% in the last month. So the valuation is fucking absurd. But the thing is that it could it could very well go up even more. Like this, this is, you know, it's really just going to come down to how does the government react to this? Not even the taxpayers, not any of the constituents. It's literally going to be like, what does the government like, how do they react to this? And then not to get, like, too spiritual, but, like, there's also that aspect of, like, the government or certain officials within government. They'll probably get money on the back end with uh, stuff like this. But, I, you know what, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit. So, like, if Pfizer, uh, you know, if there's, like, a bill that's passed and they're going to make 10 million vaccines of whatever, uh, and they're going to approve Pfizer to be the manufacturer. Pfizer might kick back like a hundred, you know, they might kick back like 10 million or 5 million or wherever to some of the big people who were like making this active push uh, for this bill to be signed and passed. So not to call out Nancy Pelosi, of course, because I don't think she would ever do such a thing. But um, that's it, one example. Or, you know, Mitch McConnell or Mitt Romney or one of these other clowns, you know, like a lot of these politicians, they get money on the back end from these corporations for helping to push uh, changes in legislation. Okay, so what is this company called again? Bavarian what? Uh, Bavarian Nordic. Yeah, that's the name of it. It's pretty interesting. This should be something interesting to look into, but and you know, keep your eyes on uh, whether or not monkeypox becomes more prevalent and spreads. It's the one, it's uh, $361.30 a share, BAVA. Yeah, so they have a few different ADRs. Uh, it's like BAVA, and then I think they have another one that I saw. Uh, let me see if I can find this shit. Hold up. Uh, the other one I see is BVNRY. Hang on, sorry about that. My, my dad's uh, walking the dog. The other one I see, uh, the other ticker I see that's trading over the counter, and that says the ADR is um, BVNRY. 
packagers come in, these third-party firms come in to fill, uh, to make these shots to fill up the demand. But I worry about whether or not this is priced in already. You said it went up like 44%. So maybe I'll get into something like this if, if there's some sort of pullback. Yeah, so the one ADR that I looked at before, that's $16.31 in, $16 in U.S. dollars, BVNRY. Uh, it's up 16% in the last month. And then now let me see BAVA. That's $48. Uh, that's a Danish krone. So it's uh, under 50 bucks a share right now um, for the main ADR. And that's at, here's the thing. It's up 132.5% in the last six months. So that's pretty fucking insane. But the last month is 18%. And then the last five days, it's about 9%. So... I mean, I think there's something here. I mean, this is something worth looking into. Like I said, they're the only game in town, and uh, it, it's it's a, it's like the perfect mode slash like monopoly. There are going to be competitors. It's just that they're the first to market, and they're probably a year out from having to deal with any competitors. So if this thing really becomes big, then we're, we got to do uh, we got to do some homework with this. We got to look into this. Yeah, but it could be like another Moderna. Moderna shot up to uh, like five, six hundred bucks now. Yeah, yeah, Moderna went fucking next student. Moderna went fucking. This is what I mean, though. This is why you got to look at shit like this because it does not matter like what we think is going to happen. Like, let's think about Moderna, right? In the case of Moderna, like, let's just I'm going to pull up their stock right now. So Moderna, what Moderna has a valuation right now of fifty-seven billion, which is pretty insane. But like at one point from you're talking about from June of 2020, actually, let's go, let's go back. Let's go to February of 2020 trading at 19 a share. And then all of a sudden we take a fucking rocket up. And in September of 2021, it's trading at $450 a share. Like that is insane. Moderna went fucking nuclear. You would have made five times your money in that span, six times your money in that span. Like, that's incredible. And, um, you know, Moderna was like, they were like a nothing company for a while. I mean, it's not that they were a nothing company. It's just like they weren't, they weren't, uh, you know, ascribed a, a ridiculous valuation. But yeah, this could be a Moderna. Like Moderna was, they were the first to market with the COVID vaccine pretty much, right? Like they kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, they were definitely the first, but, you know, there was a couple others that came uh, after them, Pfizer, uh, yeah, Pfizer Johnson, and, and, then Johnson and Johnson, Johnson, right? And then so, there was another I, I don't company know, you have to... or some shit, right? OCGN? Yeah, but I'm going to do some research uh... to see um, whether there are any other uh, companies, you know, nearing the end of their clinical trials. Find out yeah. the uh, true competition. And the market size isn't as big as the previous vaccine. I don't think right. it's going to be nearly as well. So you have to look at, you know, any if there's any other potential competitors coming in. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I don't, I can't see this being like a COVID 2.0, but the fact that the World Health Organization is immediately ringing the fucking bell on this shit kind of tells me like, oh, this could really be like a big thing. They had sort of this alarmist policy with COVID and for them to go ahead and kind of have that same approach with this to me is like a little bit of a silver lining, especially for the stock, because even though I don't think it will be as bad as COVID or 
a situation like that, if the government overreacts enough to start regularly ordering vials, the company's revenue is going to go fucking bonkers. And that's just what it is. And it doesn't even have to necessarily pertain to the US. If if a lot of these European countries freak out and they start this shit in droves, like that's what's going to happen. It's almost going to like ride the coattails of COVID because people saw how bad COVID was um, in terms of, you know, not not even in terms of like how deadly it was or anything like that, but how, you know, the medical infrastructure wasn't prepared for people to go on ventilators and have to deal with this fucking, you know, um, all the hospitalizations, especially early on for older people or people that were like immunocompromised. So I think that if there is going to be an overreaction to something again, it'll be it'll be something like this that's immediately following COVID, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But I don't think people, you know, if people aren't inclined to put up with what previously happened and, you know, then there's more pushback. You know, it's, it's always hard to, you know, meet the initial demand. You know, we saw that with Bed Bath & Beyond, AMC. It, the first one always has uh, more of an upward trajectory than, you know, the following AMC and Bed Bath & Beyond. But that's not to say that, you know, you, you still can't make money on the other two, but, you know, you're not going to make as much. But, yeah, this is something to add to your watch list on, you know, whatever uh, investment platform you use and take a good look at it. And if there's any sort of uh, substantial pullback, Maybe you uh, throw a couple of dollars in there. And it's important to, uh, you know, diversify. Don't put all your money. I'm not saying don't put all your money in, in Bavarian, but you got to diversify. You got to buy index funds, ETFs and such. But you could afford to uh, throw a couple of dollars into the stock and see what happens. For sure, man. For sure. Calculated bets all the way, man. I'm, I'm all for it. Here's another thing I thought that was uh, pretty interesting and kind of very scary in a way. Um, so younger people are taking up an increasing share of U.S. unemployment insurance. And this is a crazy statistic for you. People who are under the age of 35 account for 31% of unemployment. That is crazy. That is absolutely fucking nuts. And that is more than any time in the last 15 years. So more people, more younger people are unemployed do you think that has to do with people not wanting to work? Do you think that has to do with the economy slowing down? What do you think the factors are with that at play? Oh, you know, I, I can see that clearly with the people that come out of school. They're not, you know, they're not getting jobs. They're getting jobs in uh, disciplines and fields that they originally didn't go to school for. And, you know, I think people were given free money uh, during this period of time. They're not motivated to work. Uh, people are, I think socialism and communism is the answer. And, and really not the answer. And we've seen that in the past couple of years come to fruition that it's not the answer. And people have gotten lazy. They want to be the victim. They follow this victim mentality. They say, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me. Yeah, poor you. Go fuck yourself, bozo. You're not the victim. Uh, and people just need to go out there. You know, they need to go to work. And the, the government needs to stop supporting these idiots. If these idiots don't want to work, you know, that's it. This is a doggy dog world. We should be like Brazil. We should be like these other countries. The people should just die on the streets. People like to say like, oh, this is America. People can't die on the streets. And then, you know, this is America. No, they should die. You don't want to work. You should die on the streets. That's that's how it should go. And, you know, we have to clean up this this homeless problem, uh, this problem where people don't want to work. They're unmotivated to work. These people should be forced to work. And you shouldn't be getting governmental uh, subsidies, food stamps, and all these other things without having to do something if, you know, even if you have to do, uh, even if you have to walk around the park, right, and a person has to throw garbage on the ground, 
for you to pick up. You know, you, you have one person throw the garbage on the ground and the other person pick it up and you do it on purpose. You just keep polluting, polluting, polluting so that these people can pick it up. You have to, you know, create these jobs for these people. You cannot be incentivizing people to get paid for nothing. And if you cut out these programs and, you know, you start creating these jobs for people to do, I think you're going to see a lot more people get back to work because people are not going to want to pick up garbage that's that's on the floor. Cannot be walking around doing drugs, doing LSD, and doing all these narcotics, right? You know, saying, ooh, you know, when I did the acid, right? You know, I came to, I, I, I had a, I had a uh, vision and, you know, I really changed my life and it, it showed me my true purpose, the acid. It went into my skull and my brain and it changed my mind. I, I, I had a vision, the vision, you know, the acid, it was going around the cerebrum. No, it's total bullshit. Get off the drugs, get off the weed, get off. Get off the uh, narcotics, right? The A1 narcotics. Get to work. and You can't live out of your car either. You can't live out of your car and just like travel around the country. You got to get a job. You got to go to work, you know? Can't be fucking around. I mean, no, you you, you could live in your car if if you have a job, you know, you want to save money. You know, you want to, you don't want to be a renter and, you know, you want to live in your car so you can save more money and progress and buy a house. Now, that's understandable. You can't live in your car. And not do anything and not work and because you have a vision and, you know, you're trying to find your purpose and everything like that. Because no, no, they don't. The they, those world. people, they don't look for their purpose. They, they're my passion, my passion, my passion. He's, people like that are looking for their fucking passion, he or she, you know. Yeah, that, that you know, that, that reminds me. We have a video on this channel, Passion Versus Purpose. You should check that out. And you should never use the words passion. That can be that should be expelled from the English language. I think in China actually they they, they don't have a word passion. They just expelled it. They said you know we we don't talk about passion yet. We talk about doing. We talk about purpose. But uh, yeah, right. this is a purpose total disgrace. What's going on in the world? Total, 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 total disgrace. These people, you know, if you're not a productive member of society, they should send you. They should have an island, and you should basically. They should do what they did in Rome. I think they should do what they did in Rome. And you should be entertainment for the people that are productive. They should watch the people fight. And it should be like the gladiators. And, you know, one member that's unproductive. And if he comes out of it, he'll learn how to be productive because he survived and he fought. And he was able to, you know, survive the uh, gladiator attack. So that's what we should do. Round up all the unproductives. Put them on an island. Do like a Hunger Games gladiator type. And, you know. Pay-per-view. You got to do pay-per-view. Pay-per-view. forty nine ninety nine. I would pay. Sponsor, uh, what? You know, let's put Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, yeah. Let's put uh Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, Mitch McConnell, and um, Mitt Romney on there too, and we'll put Liz Cheney there as well, and Dick Cheney, and George Bush, and Obama, and Jeb Bush. That sounds like a win to me. All right. So I know that you're a big game guy, big gamer, right? So I got a game for you. Okay. Let me know if you're interested in playing this. So here's an article that I found online and I want to go through this and, you know, I could sit here and read the article and that'll be boring and not really entertaining. So the article is pertaining to how much Americans have saved in their accounts, not invested, but saved in their accounts at every age. Okay. So it breaks it down into four demographics. We've got people under the age of 35, people from 35 to 44, 45 to 54 and 55 to 64, right? So I want you to take a guess what the average is saved for those four different groups. 
So under the age of 35, how much do you think the average American has saved? Under 35? So now we have to take into account like uh, student loan debt and everything? Yeah, and it's an average. It's an average. So it's skewed by the highest earners and the lowest people. Under 35 uh, in savings, I'm going to say 5000 All right. So uh, you're – estimate was a little conservative it's actually 11,200 but the median is 3,200 okay 35 to 44 what do you think that is average or average uh, or median what do you think that is 25,000 and 19. All right, so the average is actually $27,900 and the median is $4,700. Okay. Oh my goodness. That's that's horrific. That's the median. So remember the median people, that's really important. The difference between median and average. Average is always skewed by the highest earners. If there are two people and you're taking an average and one guy earns a million dollars and the other guy earns zero dollars, the average is half a million, right? But the median is what's more important uh, actually, that's a bad example. Let's use three people. Let's say one guy makes a million and then you have two bozos that make $0 a year. The median would be a lot closer to zero because it would factor in the guy that's worth a million, but it's a weighted median. So you'd say, oh, $0 is there twice. So the median would be you know, in that zero range or much fucking closer to zero, whereas the average would be 300,000 or whatever. So, you know, anyway. Uh, from 45 to 54, what do you think the average and median is? So 45 to 54, this is like peak career. This is pretty much like you've kind of peaked in your job. You've peaked in your career. You're very well established. Maybe you have a family at this point, um, you know, and things are kind of squared away. You're probably not going to get promoted after this time. Uh, 100,000 and $8,000. All right. So you're much closer on the median. You, you're starting to figure this out. So the average is $48,200 and the median is $5,600. Excuse me, $5,600. I don't know why it's $56,000. i am getting a little carried away there. So it's uh, 45 to 54. The average is $48,200 and the median is $5,600. Now the last demographic. 55 to 64. So this is up until retirement age. This is you've hopefully built a nice little nest egg at this point. You're gearing down. You're getting ready to ride off into the sunset. What do you think the average and median is for the age range of 55 to 64? Uh, 100,000 and 7,500. Okay. So in this one, it's $57,000 and $6,400. So the 57,000 is the average and the median is $6,400. How sad is that? That's at 55 to 64. The median is $6,400. Not even six figures. Yeah, it's very pathetic. I, I thought it would at least be six figures. I mean, people dream of being millionaires. They can't even reach six figures, let alone seven. They could barely hit five, bro. Did The median wasn't even, the median wasn't 10 grand, you know? How are you going to be a millionaire? You know, you can't even get ten grand saved up. Come on. I think I, I think I hit five at about eleven years old. <laughs> Probably, yeah, 
Yeah, but but we're different though. We got started pretty young and we're like diligent savers and we like investing and we're both kind of like minimalists too. Like I, I would definitely say I'm I'm a minimalist, like a hundred percent. I do like a lot of the technology, but in terms of like anything else, like appliances, furniture, like TVs and all this other bullshit, like I don't really fuck with any of it, you know. Like even my phone, I went out and I bought a uh I spoke with it before. But uh, I bought a, um, you know, an iPhone. I have, you know, new iPhone. But I bought a, a third gen SE, which is basically just an iPhone 8 with like A15 Bionic processor and some of the upgraded specs from like the iPhone 13. Um, so it, they basically took the iPhone 13 components, like the best parts of it, and they put it in a phone that has a, an iPhone 8 body. And to me, the iPhone 8 is like the peak iPhone because it's like it's got the home button, it's got all the bells and whistles, and it's it's just like um it's like having a Ferrari and like a Honda body. That's how I describe it to people. And you know what? It's a, it was a good deal because it's like it's half the price of the fucking thirteen, and the thirteen has all this bullshit I don't want. I don't need like five fucking cameras on the back end. I don't need Face ID. I don't need fucking any of this other weird shit that goes on with these phones. You know, I like something nice and minimal, and that's it. And I use my phone like maybe an hour or two every day. Um, just to kind of keep in contact with people to talk, pay some bills, check my portfolio, and occasionally read in emails. And that's pretty much it. I don't really use it for anything else. I don't have games on there. So I would say I'm definitely more of a, like a minimalist. And I think that you're kind of the same way. And I think that we both have that approach to investing. And that's what kind of has made us successful. And that's what works for us. Hey, I mean, you got to be you got to be a minimalist. You should be only you, you shouldn't be buying uh, new cars. If you're not a millionaire, you don't buy a new car. That means you're a moron if you buy a new car when you, if you're not a millionaire. Shouldn't be spending all your money on assets that depreciate. Shouldn't have uh, consumer debt. Consumer debt is one of the uh, major downfalls in today's society. And you should be spending money on uh, on real estate. Real estate's a good way to start off because of you know the leverage that you can uh, attain and achieve. You can only, you could put five uh, percent down. And if you're in the army or you know you got you got a uh, you can get a VA loan, you can put 0% down and they'll put the cover the down payment for you. So that's a huge, huge asset where, you know, for $5,000, you can have control of a $100,000 asset and then rent it out and get the appreciation and the cash flow from the asset. So I think you should start off by investing in uh, real estate because it'll leverage. And then as you grow your nest egg and you keep uh, churning properties and, you know, 10, 1039 exchanging into different properties, then you should be getting into stocks. And, you know, you should be worried about growing um, the nest egg, not necessarily worried about the cash flow at a young age. And then maybe when you turn, you know, about 55, 56, 57, then you be worrying uh, about the cash flow and the money that comes off of it. But when you're young and such, you should be worried about growing the nest egg and then worried about the cash flow that comes from it later on. Yeah, real estate's one of the best um, wealth builders ever. Uh, so real estate, there's really four ways of making money. Uh, appreciation, which is really kind of the cherry on top, right? Like, you know, you could have the good thing is with real estate, there's actually forced appreciation. Like you could buy a distressed property, fix it up, you know, put a new roof in, new, new kitchen, new bathrooms, new tiling, like whatever. You could do all that. So that's in the form of appreciation. So that's like that first leg. The second leg is cash flow, which is what you mentioned. And cash flow is terrific getting paid on most of every month by your tenants, getting paid by whoever, uh, you know, your tenants are, whether it's a commercial entity or, re, you know, um, residential uh, 
tenant, whoever it may be, getting that cash on the first is great. The next thing is like the equity uh, buildup, which is in the form of like a loan pay down. Uh, a mortgage, like every month you're paying, you know, X amount of money towards that mortgage. And that's like, you know, you're, you're essentially just building equity in the property, which is good because then you could borrow against it at some point to be able to buy other things or, you know, it, you're, you're basically just, uh, you're basically just buying like pieces of the house uh, in terms of equity, like every month when you pay your mortgage. And then the last thing is obviously the tax savings, which is tremendous because like I said, if you own an LLC or any type of pastor entity, or if you're a sole prop, you actually end up coming out ahead because you've got mortgage interest write-offs, you got property tax write-offs, you got depreciation write-offs, you have capex write-offs. Like with all the different write-offs you get, especially with depreciation, it's very, very, very common that you actually show a loss on your um, real estate holdings, and then the income that you'll accrue from renting out, you know, whether it's duplex, triplex, whatever the income you're going to accrue from renting out some of those units that you have in a single family property or even multifamily property is going to be substantially less than all the different write-offs you get. So then you'll get that income and you won't pay any taxes on it, which is amazing. And then, like you said, if you live there, the thing is it's um, if it's a primary residence and you live there for two of the last five years, let's say you're married, you, you get half a million dollars that you're able to exempt in capital gains on the property. So you could actually, let's say you buy a house for a million, three years ago, you lived there for the last two years. Now it's worth 1.5. If you're married, now you sell the house at 1.5. Let's say it's fully paid off. And now you can roll that into a new deal or you could roll that into a bigger property. And that's how you really make money with real estate is, you know, in the form of leverage and using the bank's money. Um, but real estate's fucking awesome. One easily, one of the best ways to build wealth, um, and, you know, they're not making any more real estate. Terraforming isn't a thing yet. That's not really anything we have to worry about. It's something that could potentially happen uh, at some point in our lifetime, but it's going to be tough to get to that point, at least right now. So, Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Real estate, it's, it's been and has been one of the best ways to, uh, you know, become wealthy. If you look at the poorest Americans, I guarantee you those were all renters. Those people that were at the four, five, six, seven thousand, those people don't own a home. They're they're living in an economy of uh, of rent, and they're uh, perpetual renters. If you want to yeah, be a perpetual, and, and... Rent, sorry, go ahead. If you want to be a perpetual renter uh, your whole life, then you know so be it. You will be you will be a brokey, and you will be poor. See, renting actually, um, it, I guess in some capacity, it does make sense because um, like if your payment every month is somehow like $500 a month, maybe you live with friends or whatever the case may be, that's actually not bad. But a better move is to just buy a property with like a similar comp. So let's say it's like three grand a month or let's, let's say for the sake of simple math, um, let's say you get like a, th let's say you get a four bedroom house and the mortgage is two thousand dollars a month um but actually actually let me lay this out a little bit better let's say you get a four bedroom house and the rent is two thousand dollars a month which would you would be out of pocket five hundred dollars assuming you split that with three other people right 
But the main thing is like, here's how you got to look at it. You're like, okay, $500 a month. Like what property am I going to buy for $500 a month? Probably nothing crazy, right? But the thing is that you could get a property where the mortgage is $2,000 a month and you could charge people that amount in rent, like a comp, you could say 500 each or whatever. And then you're only out of pocket that 500. So now for $6,000 a year, you actually own like an income income producing asset. Uh, and then obviously you have down payment and stuff like that. But for that $6,000 a year, you have a place to stay and you're getting paid you know, $1,500 a month in income, which is essentially going to be tax free after all the write-offs and, um, you know, different tax advantages you're uh, allowed to, to take and owning that real estate. So you're actually far better off, but you know, it's, it's a lot to save up a down payment and uh, to be able to make a move like that. But no, real estate is like easily the best, one of the best investments. Um, it definitely has, I think everyone should try to own real estate. It should be in everyone's portfolio. The tax breaks alone is, is where you come out ahead because a lot of times you can get some of these tax breaks with equities, but it's a lot more convoluted and it's a lot more involved. And most people don't have technical know-how or like the clearance to be able to do uh, some of these tax strategies and take advantage of them. I mean, I, I know if you, you know, if you're a rich individual, high net worth individual, you could basically form formulate in uh, an ETF and they have like a like kind exchange when you uh, run ETF. And this was uh, basically lobbied by uh, Vanguard and Fidelity so that they can like rebalance their portfolio. But like some of these small, uh, some of these high net worth individuals, they formulate these ETFs to take advantage of it and they could exchange in and out of stocks without paying taxes. So, but you got to be a high net worth individual to do so, to do so and do that. So you're better off, you know, focusing on real estate because those opportunities aren't uh, given to you, given to the everyday man. Totally agree. And on that note, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for hanging out. We appreciate it. It's been another week, been another great one. We'll see you guys in the next one. God, you have any words of wisdom? Close it out. Yeah. Don't be a brokey. Invest your money. Don't be a brokey. Don't live in your car. Don't, don't worry about passion. Right. Get to work. I totally agree. Purpose over passion all day, every day, baby. I'm with it.